Can you say, come on, you Spurs? Say it loud. Say it loud. Come on, you Spurs. Loud and proud. Frogs, <laughs> pull your face out of your stuffies. Say it one more time. Say it big. Say it loud. Get it. Get your Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we've gotten distracted. We tried. Say it one more time. Big and loud. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. Yeah, come on, you Spurs. <laughs> All right, Brooks, time to go to bed. You got to r- relax your body. Because I'm a big boy. Is Gas going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Internet's most dangerous Tottenham Hotspur podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. This is a momentous occasion for us as we are now here for our fifth permanent manager of the podcast, although I believe Brian has been around for six of them. So that is just another milestone in our proud and extremely dangerous history. Uh, Let us know on Twitter uh, at WDR Podcast, which manager you started listening to us during, and uh, maybe leave us a nice review on Spotify or iTunes. But this week, we are celebrating the beginning of the Ange Postacoglu era and break down our 2-2 draw against Brentford. We'll look at the performances of our new players and a few returning favorites, and then we'll take a brief look at our Spurs transfer business before we turn our attention to some questions about the new season. And if we have time, we might talk about a certain snake that has left the club and has no significance for us now or ever. But for now, I am joined, as always, by my two faithful co-hosts coming to us from the sandy shores of East Atlanta. It's Ben Daniels. Ben, how are you doing? I still can't get over the ladies and gentlemen that opened this thing. This is a fancy Yeah, I don't era. like the new intro. <laughs> This is, we forgot the streets we came from. Ben, I want to ask you a question leading off that we got from uh, someone on Twitter named Phil Spurs. Uh, He, I think it's appropriate as we've just started a new era for the club. Uh, Which of Spurs managers uh, would win in a fight? Um, Any Spurs manager? Of the managers that we have watched as fans fighting each other, who, who would win in a fight? Okay, I mean, well, I think this predates the podcast, so this may be outside the scope of your question. But Martin Yole would fucking destroy everybody, no question. Martin Yole is the guy. Uh, But if we're limiting it to the guys we've podcasted about, what do we got? ABB, Poach, Jose, Conte, and Big Ange? I mean, do we have to include Stellini and Ryan Mason and Tim Sherwood in this list? If you feel like it, go nuts. The world is your oyster. We know it's not Ryan Mason. <laughs> yeah, one blow to the head. And... I mean, I, they don't call him Big Ange for nothing. He's a large fellow. Despite what some people will try to gaslight you into thinking. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he could do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. So obviously he would beat all of them at once. Uh, and next up, coming to us from the slopes of Miami, he can't even smell them burning the books at the schools there. It's Brian Ashlock. Brian, who do you think would win this fight? Um, that's also my favorite intro you've ever done. That's great. 
That was that was very good. See, I, I saved it. I, I worked. Yeah, yeah. No, that was. It's sad but true. Um, you know, I think it's probably Pochettino. Um, but like early on Pochettino, like not when he looked like a fat cheesecake factory waiter, but like early when he was like, you know, kind of svelte and svelte um, with air quotes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean, here's the thing. I just don't doubt that he has more endurance than Big Ange. And so if the two of them are engaged in something, first of all, Pochettino, much taller, like two inches taller. So he's got a reach advantage. And um, yeah, I think he does. And, you know, look, Andrew just doesn't look like he'd have to deck him on the first swing. But he might. See, this he is, might. I disagree with both of you guys. I, think it's I mean, Pochettino Ange. is Argentinian. So if he gets hit, he might just fall down and roll around for a while. That's, that's true. But that's not going to help him with a fight. Uh, you know, I think I think it's Big Ange because of all the managers, I think there's only two managers at Spurs who look like they know how to take a punch, and it's Ange and it's Harry Redknapp. Believe it or not, like I believe Harry Redknapp knows how to take a punch. I don't think he can deliver a punch, but Big Ange <laughs> looks like both he can take a punch and like he's collected money for someone before. So I would put my money on Big Ange so he doesn't take it from me. I mean, it's okay that you're wrong. I'm not betting against a big Aussie in a brawl. Yes. I think that just Thank seems you. like a safe bet. I think like, if you go back to like hard man center back Pochettino era, like I can see the case being made, but he's been a doughy gentleman for too long. And just a big guy, but he is like, he seems right as a big guy. Poach feels exactly. like he's a soft boy. Definitely. Definitely. Even like, what do you think of him as a center back? Do you think of him like putting a crunching tackle or do you think David Beckham knocking him over? Like, come on. I think the answer is clear here. Don't bet on the don't bet against the big Aussie. So that said, hopefully the Premier League will come to a similar conclusion about his soccer teams because it is now his team and we are underway in his era. Uh, I I don't know. I, I was very happy with this performance against Brentford. Uh, now, obviously, I think we're dealing with the bigotry of low expectations here uh, because I was just absolutely thrilled to see a Spurs team that wanted the ball. But I'm curious what you guys think. Ben, uh, you usually, you're usually our pessimist, so I'm curious to see where the pendulum lands this week. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty encouraging beginning. Um, the first half was much worse than the second half, and I was uh, appreciative of how much we seemed to grow into the game. Um, you know, I think everyone is still trying to figure out the system. Everyone is still trying to figure out new roles and new responsibilities. Um you know, losing Romero to a concussion in the first 10 minutes obviously is very disruptive to our, our plans. But, um, yeah, I thought we rolled with it pretty well. I thought there was a lot of very encouraging performances, a couple very unencouraging performances. Um, but, you know, Brentford set up in a specific way to frustrate us that was a tough first test, I think. You know, we went through preseason – Everyone's out there to play football. No one's trying to, like, bunker 12 men behind the ball. Um, and it showed. Like, it definitely showed that we have work to do to figure out how to play when the other team doesn't want to play. And we're probably going to see that more now that people don't think we're a joke like they did last year. And <laughs> will treat us with a little bit more respect. Brian, how how do you think we acquitted ourselves against Brentford? 
I mean, about like expected. I think we talked a little bit about on last week's show that like this wasn't an ideal matchup for us because it was a team that had largely played together for a, a pretty long stretch. They were um, very well drilled and they knew what the tactics were. And and they're also a really good counterattacking team. So like this just kind of set up to be kind of a weird back and forth with us, you know, maybe conceding a few goals and hopefully scoring a couple goals. I think, you know, a point on this match away conceding two goals with, you know, three of the back or four of the back five have never played together. I mean, I thought this was pretty good. Um, I, I would have liked to see uh, a little more from some of our attackers, which I, I'm sure we'll come on to. But, like, in terms of what I expected this to look like at this point in Ange Postacoglu's, you know, month and a half that he's been in charge, I, I thought this was fine. I, I'm I'm probably being a little bit of a Pollyanna here, but I think what really impressed me about this were two things, which is, one, I don't think a lot of teams are going to be able to do this to us. Now, maybe I'm wrong about that. I think a lot of teams will try to do this against us. But I think Brentford really played compact and tight in a way that I think a lot of teams are going to struggle with, and especially with their wingbacks. I think they have certain things they can do to us that other teams aren't going to be able to do or aren't going to be disciplined enough to do. That said... I think one of the most impressive things about this game was the second half. Now, we didn't score in the second half, and I think this is a team that needs to work on creating chances. But I think the way that we completely dominated possession, we totally neutralized anything Brentford had going forward. I mean, I don't – you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember a real chance that Brentford had in the second half. I mean, we just completely pinned them in, not just their half, but it felt like, you know, they're – third of the pitch I was just I was extremely impressed by the way we played and the way that we dominated the second half and I mean I don't want to say Brentford were lucky to get out with a point because you know they did scuff a chance or two in the first half that they could have put away especially at the end of the half but like you know if you're going to talk about how Brentford were lucky or how Spurs are lucky that Brentford's you know that chance at the end of the first half didn't go in I think you also have to talk about how lucky Brentford was that at a minimum, Sun's chance didn't go in. I mean, they were I, – I was just – again, I'm probably overreacting at least a little bit here because this is a Spurs team that wants the ball, that was playing on the front foot, that was pinning another team in its own half. I mean, God, I can't remember the last time we saw – I mean, probably like mid-era Pochettino. It was just such a drastic change of pace. And I think the fact that we're playing like this with, admittedly, things we need to work on and things that we need to improve on – but after, like you said, Brian, six weeks of, of Big Ange, like, we're already playing like this? I'm impressed. Yeah, I think um, the thing that I was probably most disappointed with Ange about uh, from this game is, like, we didn't seem to really utilize the the bench at all. Like, you know, we, we make the early sub for, for Romero that, you know, that's unplanned, right? And then, you know... It takes until the sixth minute for us to bring on uh, Perisic and Saar. And, you know, Skip probably should have been off sooner than that. Maybe we could have made some changes at fullback. We could have different stuff. Like, I don't know. I That, that was the only thing. Because, like, I, I, I feel like, 
you know, we were kind of hoping that he would be much more proactive than our previous managers, that he would at least use all of our subs. Um, but I guess, you know, that can also be down to, like you said, we were really dominating play there uh, in that second half. And maybe he just thought, uh, well, if we just keep rolling like this, it'll it'll eventually break. But it, it just didn't. We also, it's worth pointing out about the sub conversation. We also miscategorized the uh, Romero sub early on. So we only had two sub windows to use after that, even though we had four subs. So that might have yeah. played But we didn't role. use the last one or, or two additional subs. Like, we still had room to work that we Yeah. We well, did. And also, like, but when this guy goes off with an obvious head injury, kind of regardless of what piece of paper you fill out, shouldn't yes. the fourth official be like, and you're using the concussion sub, right? Like, you, you know, it shouldn't be, well, I'm sorry, you filled out the wrong piece of paper. Like, oh, I'll give you the other piece of paper. Like, who cares? Yeah, the fact that there's in-the-moment paperwork as part of the substitution process that is, is like, crazy. astonishing to me. Like, you think someone just says that, like you, like you said, Brian, like, either you say to the referee or the referee checks with you, especially in a situation like that where it's pretty clear what's going on. Um, it's a little surprising, but I think it's worth giving, I mean, I'm sure we're not the only people to do this, but I think it's worth giving Ange a lot of credit, um, you know, in a week where we've seen just how scummy football clubs can be with what's happening at United, like, you know, see, I, I can't, I'm not going to pretend I've watched, a, you know, enough football to say this definitively. I can't ever remember a manager doing something like this without a player's brain leaking out of his skull. And even then, like, you know, I, I don't ever remember a manager just yanking a guy off who was fighting him on concussions. I mean, we all lived through the Vertonghen shit a few years ago when he was clearly needed to be subbed off and they wouldn't. So I, it was just, it was refreshing to see a manager do that. Yeah. And his comments after the fact were also very encouraging to him, hear him say like, this is not my call. This is the doctor's call. And the player shouldn't have a say in this. I shouldn't have a say in this. We need to protect the player from himself sometimes. You know, that's what you want to hear. You want to hear yep. that this guy takes care of his his players more than he well, cares about. And then he does it when it's not easy. Like, I mean, this wasn't like we were winning 3-0 in the 80th minute. I mean, this was a 1-0 game, very, you know, I mean, on the road at Brentford. Like, you know, nothing's assured there. And he yanks his best defender off. Yeah, and I mean, it's amazing how the delivery on that, well, it wasn't my decision, it was the doctor's decision. Like, it's amazing how the delivery on that is different versus Jose Mourinho or or Conte, where they would be like, well, what could I do? The fucking doctor told me that he had to come off, so just really screwed up our whole game. And Ange's like, no, it's the, the doctor says, like, he's the expert, not me. This is the um, most important thing. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah. It's, it's really, uh, it's a, he's a very impressive, I hope his man, I hope as a manager, he's as impressive as he seems to be as a human, because everything that comes out of that guy's mouth is really very impressive. Yeah, like the cut of his jib. I do. I do. There's big boy jib. Uh, what, Ben, what, what impressed you most about this performance? Let's, let's start with the positives. Yeah, I think I would say it was very impressive how much you could clearly see the ideas that Ange wanted to implement being implemented. Um, and obviously it didn't all come off and there are issues with it, but everyone seemed to understand broadly, you know, what we were trying to do um, and seemed like willing and eager to participate in that. 
no one seemed like they were, you know, going off book and freestyling in a way that was like disruptive to the overall system. Um, but people still seemed like free to express themselves and do things that were, you know, cool in the moment. Um, and especially for the new guys, like, I mean, Mickey Vandeven showing up two days ago and putting in that performance was like a revelation. You know, I think for most of us, like there's that one highlight that has gone around the internet a million times of him like chewing up 45 yards on a guy to put in a tackle. And it's like, okay, yep, he's a very quick boy. Like that's that's basically all you can say about him. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was exactly as fast as advertised, but also very composed on the ball, very good awareness, very good technical defender. Um, I just I can't think of a more assured debut than that. In a uh, debut where he deflected but, a ball into his own net, which wasn't his fault, but I think that tells you how good that debut was. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, Van de Ven and the rest of the new signings were, you know, kind of the the best part of this game. Like everybody, uh, even Udagi, who's who's not necessarily a new signing, but is certainly, you know, making his debut for the team and um, Madison, um, Vicario. I thought I thought all those guys played well. Um, uh, I mean, Madison, I thought was outside of Vandeven was the best player out on the field. Um, and Udagi, like, I mean, there's absolutely no question that this guy is a Premier League quality left back, even in a system that maybe doesn't necessarily ask him to do the sorts of wing back he's doing in Italy. He still seems, you know, like he has elite level athleticism and like him and Van de Ven on the same side is just absolutely nuts. Yeah, going from a year of Dyer and Davis on that left flank to this is just like what a turnaround. I thought there, there's a lot of those guys we can compliment, but I don't want to let Udogi go unpraised here for me. I mean, that was uh, some of it, again, it was just sort of what you heard and the impressions we gathered. But he was much more of a complete fullback. And admittedly, again, Brentford wasn't exactly weren't exactly tearing the pitch up, um, testing him out. But still, he was a much more complete fullback than I'd sort of been led to believe. And Van de Ven in particular, I thought. You know, even smart people that we follow and, you know, had talked about him. Like, I, that was just a much more complete performance than I was expecting from him. I mean, really, everybody acquitted himself well. Let's talk about Madison. I mean, just like, wow, like, God, we should have signed him like five years ago. He was great. I don't think I've ever seen a player concuss another player with a cross. Uh, but he whipped the shit out of that ball. I mean, he was – I was really impressed with Madison. And like, I mean, one of my big takeaways was – I mean, A, we need to find another player who does creative things besides him. But B, like, I mean, just like, I, I feel like we've been crying out for a guy like him since 2018, you know, right before Erickson stopped trying. Uh, you know, he he's just, God, I, I like forgotten what a player like that looks like in a Spurs shirt. It was so refreshing. Yeah, I mean, the whip on that free kick to, to for the Romero goal is just, amazing Romero like, I, it doesn't it. Romero doesn't hit it so much as it hits Romero yeah like is absolutely wild um and in fairness to Madison I don't think he concussed uh Romero I think that had occurred previously um but he he certainly didn't help matters um yeah I, I mean it was just 
really interesting to see a guy playing in midfield that was, you know, just kind of happy to keep things ticking over, that was moving, showing for the ball, and then looking up to try and play a pass forward. And, you know, when the pass forward wasn't there, he was happy to move it around and recycle. Like, you know, we've, we've in the past, we've been linked with guys that love like a Hollywood pass, like, you know, like a Bruno Fernandez type player. And while Madison is capable of that, like, that's not all he's doing. He is doing all of the other midfieldy things to maintain possession and defend and press. And, like, I, I, I've just been really impressed with him um, throughout the preseason and, and then especially today. I was impressed with the whole team's ability to – you're talking about recycling the ball and keeping things ticking over. I was impressed with the whole team's just ability, like, oh, that didn't work. Like, get the ball back. Let's start again. Like, I mean, I know that's, like, a small thing, but, like, considering where we've come from from the last few years, if our, like, three attacks don't work, you know, forget about it. I mean, it was just nice to see us just keep going at them and, you know, have a sort of an offensive mindset. It was just – God, it was so refreshing. Yeah, yeah and I, I mean, do worry. I do worry how much James Madison was like a one-man offense out there, but he was very effective. So I'll take the good with the bad. So how much? I would say I think you could say our forward line didn't have the best game they've ever had in terms of Son, Richarlison, and Kulishevsky. How worried are you about that? And how much do you think their performance was a product of Brentford just putting eleven men behind the ball and camping out in their own box? I'm both, you know, like, you know, we saw a lot, again, in preseason is a lot of like how this attack works is a lot of vertical running from multiple channels and guys breaking in behind the lines and and passing um, to find them. And Brentford gave us no space, you know, to make those kinds of plays, um, except for down the wings where Son and Kulisevsky are not super comfortable. Um you know, I think in any context, their limitations on like beating a man wide is going to be an issue, but much less so when, you know, Sun's receiving in space and Sun can just like kick it long and run onto it. Like we know he can beat a man like that, but he's not necessarily like a stand up 1v1 dribbler, you know, to go down the flank and then whip it across. It's just not really his game. Um, so I think they're. I'm concerned about their fit in general and the tactical approach that Brentford took really exacerbated their limitations. Yeah, I think for me, the, the, the system is, is a weird thing to adjust to where, you know, we kind of spent the last few years playing with these ultra wide wingbacks. And then now we've got fullbacks that are basically midfielders. Um, even though that's the way that like football is going, that's not the way that Spurs were going. And so, you know, seeing Kulisevsky or Son kind of hanging out like out near the touchline and not, you know, making runs into the box or dropping into midfield to collect the ball uh, was really interesting. And so, like, I, I also wonder if it's also kind of a product of the system wasn't quite getting them the ball in the in the way they needed to. Uh, you know, I, some of the switches of play seemed a little slow. 
like we weren't quite sure where people were supposed to be. I thought Kulseski did a much better job of holding his position wide right than Sun did. He kept wanting to drift into the box and and he had, you know, Udogi who was willing to make the overlap, whereas Emerson was really enjoying his time as a midfielder. He really uh, was. Yeah. <laughs> um, which and and you know, I <laughs> I don't necessarily like it, but like it seemed to work okay. Um, so I'm willing to keep watching it and see what happens. But like, yeah, I, just everything from the forward line just didn't seem to connect. And I'm kind of happy that the narrative around it has been, you know, oh, well, we got to have more time and these guys have maybe got to figure out the roles a little better as opposed to, uh, see, the Harry Kane team doesn't have Harry Kane anymore and now we suck. Well, Charleston's gotten a little bit of that, I think, which I think is, if there's anyone that I think was the most hard done by by Brentford style of play, I think it was Charleston. I think, sure. like, there was a point at which it was, like, late in the game where I think so, I think it was Son, but someone passed into him from the left and Richarlson had, like, just two men right on top of him. And I just remember thinking, like, where's Kulishevsky making the run there to, like, at a minimum pull a guy off, if not present him, you know, a another option to pass it to. But I don't know. Like, I think Richarlson was the most hard done by that. I thought Kulishevsky just had a bad game. I don't think he had his moment or two. But Son, I thought, maybe maybe I'm wrong about this. I thought Son was actually putting himself in dangerous, more dangerous positions as the game went on. Um, even though he didn't have a great performance by any means. But it seemed like he was starting to figure it out a little bit. Kulishevsky, I mean, that was where I was like, God, put Solomon in for him and just let someone run up and down the wings. Um, but I thought Kulishevsky didn't have a great performance. That's funny. I you know, I thought Kulishevsky was much more impressive than Sun. And I huh. think to the extent Sun was more impressive, I think it was the left side of the pitch was just a much, much more functional unit as a whole. You know, you've got Madison over there. You have Udagi, who was moving into midfield like Emerson and also taking up spaces wide and also making kind of runs through that like eight space overlapping Madison. Um, and like he kind of allowed Sun to go wherever he wanted and support him as necessary, whereas Kulishevsky was on an island. I thought Skip was, and I hate to like harp on Skip, you know, again, because I feel like he's an easy target, but he was such a passenger in this game that like it was very disruptive to the passing links in that whole right-sided network. Um, like he seemed to be very like single-minded of like, okay, in this role, I'm supposed to make late runs into the box. And like, he was the, the charitable view on this is that he was so fixated on trying to execute that part of his role correctly that he kind of forgot to be a midfielder in the process. Like if you look at the passing networks, Basuma and Skip do not pass the ball to each other almost at all the entire game. And, like, they're standing next to each other in midfield. That shouldn't be happening. Um, like, watch highlights of Basuma, and, like, Skip just kind of takes up positions either right in front of him or running alongside of him and is never providing an option for him. And as soon as we swapped him out for Sar. Sar was doing all of those dynamic things I'm talking about where he was happy to move wide and let Kulishevsky do his thing where he dribbles left across the inside of the pitch um, and has now overlaps with Sar and, and possibly Royale. Um, it just changed dramatically what, what Kulishevsky was able to give us. And I think 
seeing how much better he was once that side became more functional gives me a lot more hope about Kulishevsky's upside going forward. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think that like, right side was such a big issue because you also pull off Romero. And, you know, now you're playing with Davinson back there, who's maybe not, he, certainly not as good as Van de Ven or Romero is on the ball. And, you know, I, I'm like you, Ben, it, it was so congested over there. And not just Skip being close to Basuma, but also always being in Emerson's way or Emerson always being in his way. I don't know which one of those two things is <laughs> is true, but it's one of them because they were just like always in like this little cluster. And I'm like. That can't be what we're supposed to be doing. These you guys should all not be within three yards of each other. Yeah, yep. I think Skip is much more suited to an open game where I mean, what does Skip do? Like crash the box and get in the way of other, like just run around and get in the way of other people's passes. Like I think you know you're, you're playing a more open game. He's probably to the extent he's suited to anything in this team. I think he's more suited to that. I, this game, I mean, I'm. I think one of the things I was most frustrated by is, like, if there was any obvious substitution that was immediate, it's, like, put a passer in for for Skip. Because, like, you know, if they're going to bunker into their own box, like, you need someone who's going to open them up a little bit. And, you know, I don't think Skip – Skip's not going to open any defense up that's not giving him room to operate in. So, you know, a guy like Sar, like you say, just doing more dynamic th- – I mean, I think he's a better player, but, like, you know, certainly he's a better passer, whatever else you think of those guys – He's a better passer. And I think we were just crying out, like, put LaCelso in there, put Sarin, just get anyone who can just sort of pick a pass and move the ball. Because, like you said, I think there's a reason the left side functioned a little bit better than the right. And I'm not trying to write off Kulishevsky. I mean, I think some of it is, like, someone gets into a dangerous position and he just is a better, you know, sort of striker of the ball and can make things happen. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I think, you know, this is his first game. This is six weeks in. There's a lot. There's a lot to sort of dream on here, and a lot of the problems you can sort of at least right now write off to, you know, this is a team that's still learning the system, and especially that 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 doesn't get any easier when there's another team that just isn't going to play. So, um, you know, I think I think in that way the United game is going to be very instructive because whatever else happens against United, I don't think they're just going to pack it in front of their goal like Brentford did. Yeah, watching watching. Uh the space in the new or the Man U Wolves game on Monday and seeing how many times they got counted on and how much opportunity Newcastle or how do I keep calling Newcastle Wolves had to run at them was I think very encouraging for how how Antoine might look against them. I refuse to get it. either United's gonna fix all their problems or they're gonna score like we're gonna dominate them and they're gonna score three undeserved goals against us. So <laughs> yeah. um. But yeah, it's. I think we're going to learn a, one way or another. We're going to learn a lot about this team against United because I don't think United's going to. I think United's going to let it give us some room to operate in whatever else they do. What did we think of Vicario? I was mostly really happy with his constant gesticulating. Like he has very, a, he has very Italian hands. That's an Italian man over here. Like he was, he was just very emotive, and I, I really enjoyed that. I thought he was. Again, I think this is another example of a guy learning to play with his new, especially Van de Ven, like who he really has only pl- like practiced with for a week. Um, you know, like I mean that that struck me as a guy who doesn't fully trust the center backs yet, uh, which is natural, I think, considering his age and considering how long they've all trained together. But I I don't know, he looked decent. I don't think you're gonna. I don't think either of the goals that Brentford scored were his fault. 
Yeah, agreed. I think, you know, the thing is for him is I thought anytime he was called on to play the ball with his feet, I it was fine. Like, you know, like he, he took there was a, a passage early in the game, like probably in the first like 20 minutes where he takes like one too many touches. Um, but then he just, you know, kept his composure and kind of booted it upfield and everything was able to reset. Like I, I, I thought the distribution and the, the possession play was a significant, uh, you know, upgrade over last year. And, um, you know, the other stuff he was, he was fine. He made some nice saves. Like, uh, I, I, like a lot of people have pointed out, he doesn't catch as much as I probably would like. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know. It, it, that wasn't the problem. That wasn't why we conceded two goals. He had you know? one. There was a punch he had where he like hit it downward in the box, and it like hit a Brentford player in the nuts or something, where they they couldn't sort of, you know, really put their foot around it. And that, but that was like the only one where I'm like, what are you doing? Don't like, like stop that. Uh, clearly, they want Ange once it's playing out of the back more than. Uh, I mean, I guess Conte wanted that too, but we were clearly taking a few risks in terms of our willingness to play out of the back, but I don't necessarily have a problem with that. That's the kind of thing. Um, and I think Vicario more so than any of the players is clearly like, I think as time goes on is going to improve, or at least you would hope um, because it struck me as like, I don't know. It strikes most of the stuff with him that you would maybe criticize struck me as things that will just improve with familiarity with the other players around him. But maybe again, maybe I'm being a Pollyanna there. I mean, he brought a real maniac energy to the goalkeeper position that we haven't seen since, like, the very early days of Hugo. And that can go a couple of ways, you know? He can calm down and, you know, that maniac energy can be, like, controlled with purpose. Or he can go and just be insane and you know, be flying out of his box, making boneheaded rash challenges or, you know, flapping at balls that he shouldn't like, I have Gomez or the Reese. Yeah. It's worth pointing out. He got a yellow, he got a yellow card for talking trash or well, it's gesticulating trash towards the other team. So I think we're already off to a great start. Yeah. I mean, I appreciated that energy, but like, I think it is way too soon for me to assess whether that is going to manifest as a positive or a negative. Uh, but it was certainly colorful. <laughs> so I think moving off of this game. Hold on. Yes. Uh, we've never talked about Eve Basuma, who was like the all-star you know preseason. That's a great point. Holy shit. Like, probably what? man of the match. And Antonio Conte, or as every other Spurs fan has noted, was referred to by a Spurs fan as the Parmesan Pulis because... Look at Pesuba. How did he not use this guy? Mamma mia. Like, I mean, the perf- that was such a great performance. I saw some people picking apart, like, oh, he doesn't have the final line breaking pass. Who cares? Like, that's what we have other passers for. He was so good in this game, mopping everything up, moving the ball forward, starting attacking moves, breaking lines across the pit. Uh, man, I was – Ben, thank you. Pesuba definitely deserves some credit here. I thought he was great, and – you know, you could definitely see what this team thought they were buying. You know, you could see what the, what, what the Don, Don Paratici thought he was getting when he signed him. I mean, it was a really good performance, and it really is kind of crazy that it took us, that you know, we were writing, that some Spurs fans were writing him off a year ago. Yeah. He was astonishing how 
much more he gave us in one game than he gave us in an entire season. Um, and looking at, you know, Liverpool struggles to land a defensive midfielder, everyone's spending a hundred million pounds on a defensive midfielder because nobody can find a guy who does all that. Um, stealing him for 25 million feels like the bargain of the century to not, not, not overstate things after one game, but like, man, we may have a real fucking player in our hands there. Yeah. And like, for all, what limitations he does have, he offers you so much that it's like, that you can figure out a way to, you know, if the final ball is the issue, we can work around that. I mean, he just, he gives you so much going both ways. It's so impressive. Yeah. It was really like kind of a Dembele esque performance. Like, and there, there are some moments where he gets the ball and he makes a little turn and you're like, I seen that before. Um, <laughs> Now, in fairness, like Van de Ven did a couple of those too, but he's awkward and white, so it's not nearly as cool looking. Um, like he looks like he's kind of like about to fall over. Uh, but yeah, Basuma is so smooth. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's why we bought him initially. We're like, this guy is pre- going to be our next press resistant midfielder. He is the guy that is going to allow us to you know, transition through the midfield instead of skipping over it and playing that air raid kind of offense. Like, and that is exactly what he did in this game. Like he was totally unflappable. He, you know, broke up play and then either moved it forward on the dribble or, you know, played line breaking passes. I think the stat was he played more line breaking passes than anyone else in the, in the league in the, this, this week. Um, you know, I, he was, he was great. He was just really good. And, you know, performances like that from him and Madison, you know, regularly that that's going to make this midfield really good. Whoever that we figure out as being the third guy is. Yeah. And he's another guy that I'm very curious to watch against a team like United that isn't just like. Yeah, I mean, like Brentford came forward enough that we could see what Basuma could do against that. But I'm just, I'm really curious to, between his defensive and offensive capabilities, you know, what that ends up looking like against a team like United. It feels insane after last season and the last few seasons to look at this team and be most excited about like our back line and defensive midfielder and be like, oh yeah, that stuff is is great. We've got four of the best guys in the league at that. Uh, everybody else, who knows? But I do feel very good about that axis between Romero, Van de Ven, and Basuma back there. That feels like don't don't forget the god Emerson Royale with his uh, yeah, yeah. And, and Udagi, and then you know like that's a unit. I actually think the system does suit like this whole Royale tucking in into the midfield. It kind of works really well for him, honestly. Yeah. I mean, the, the problem is, is like you saw what Rico Henry was able to do yes. running in space behind him. And like we need to figure out how when we move fullbacks into midfield, that's not just like a giant. Well, I, know, I have invitation. a strategy. I have a strategy for that. Uh, put a helmet on uh, <laughs> Romero. And I think that will solve uh, it. As giving a man a deadly weapon who doesn't <laughs> need it. <laughs> I'm not seeing a problem here. Ben. <laughs> but I also think that like. You know, a different midfielder there also solves that problem because I think you saw the way that Udagi and Madison kind of interchanged and moved a lot more fluidly. And 
if you whether it's Saar or Lo Celso or Hoiberg or whoever else you put in that position uh, in midfield, like they have to when Emerson Royale is tucked in, they all they have to like drop into that into that like zone a little bit um, or they have to be, you know, quick enough to to be able to get back there. And I think, you know, that's where you like having Saar there because he is, you know, rangy and he does have the ability to cover a lot of space like and, and Hoiberg too, like who is underratedly athletic. Like, I think those guys are much better suited for doing the sorts of things in tandem with uh, the, the inverted fullbacks. We should absolutely sell him because of his age and how much time is left on his contract. And that's a, been a big problem for us over the last few years. But I do have to say, I think if you just, I mean, SARS there, we have LaCelso. I understand we have a too big of a roster, but Bentancourt is still coming back. Bentancourt, and, and you know what? Bentancourt probably solves all these problems when he comes back. But I do, I was thinking to myself during this game, Hoiberg fixes a lot if you just pulled Skip out and put him on. Like, he does all that defensive work. He's the thing he offered, other than Madison, he can actually pass it long. He's the only other guy on the team that can really pass it long if you're pulling Romero out. Uh, you know, this is an interesting team with a lot of options. I think it's only going to get better. I think uh, we, we've talked about him already, but Brian, you said, or, or someone said, how how much of a bargain Basuma is. I think everyone's sleeping on how much of a bargain Madison was. And we all owe Mrs. James Madison or his partner or whatever, whoever she is. We owe her Golly. a lot. Yeah, we owe her a lot for wanting to live in London and not Newcastle because I think we got a real big bargain with Madison. I think he's going to be a very important player, especially as we transition away from Harry Kane, which is such a good transition because I think the other big change of this game was it's our first game without Harold Kane. And uh, I don't know. How'd you guys feel watching a Spurs match knowing Harry Kane is no longer a player for us? Fine. Like, I, and I mean, not to, not to like downplay the, the Harry leaving thing or, or to make it seem like it's not that big a deal, but like, there's still players on this team that I've invested in that I enjoy watching. Like, you know, I like Sun. I think Sun is amazing. You know, I I I like Richarlison. I think he's like, you know, uh, Eric Lamella, but if he were bigger and stronger and, you know, could score some more goals. Like, I, I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, not yet, not yet. <laughs> but, like, I, I like this team. And, like, I like Terry Kane. I, you know... I th- there were some people I felt that like in the last few weeks have been like downplaying their like level of emotional attachment to him because he's like a football automaton and like, oh, he doesn't have personality. So it doesn't mean he, he doesn't he's not that important to me as a fan. It's just like, no, he is important. Like he's a homegrown player and he's the record Premier League goal scorer. And he was, you know, England's captain. And like he 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 was very meaningful. But. I I was ready to move on. Like the way this summer played out and the way, you know, the Manchester City summer played out, like it was time. And so like I don't I don't feel, you know, bad about the team without him. I don't feel um, you know, any sort of upset about him leaving. I'll probably watch a few more Bayern games this year than I would normally. Like whatever. Um, but uh, other than that, like it's on to the next one. And, 
you know, we we have a project now. I think a lot of us on this podcast really like when there's a project, when there's something to believe and hope on. And that's what we have now. And we're not we're no longer now making decisions as a club and a team based on what's going to keep Harry Kane happy. And so maybe our decision making improves. Maybe our processes improve. Like there's a there's a lot to like about where we are going forward. And was it weird that he wasn't out there leading the line? Yeah, but that didn't hinder my enjoyment at all. You know what happened the last time he wasn't regularly out there leading the line? We made a Champions League final. Uh, Viewing theory is real, huh, Ben? That's right. No, I mean, like, look, I don't mean to be glib. Like, I love Harry. I think as Americans, you know, there is a level of disconnect between understanding he's one of our own we like Tottenham he's from Tottenham we get it and like being from North London and being like this is a kid from the neighborhood who's like the one of the best players in the world like there's just an emotional connection there that I think is a much easier to transcend what a kind of boring human being he is um I think in a way that from a distance that lack of personality makes it maybe not as easy to love the way someone like Sun or Deli or someone who's so obviously like full of charisma and, you know, uh, expression on the pitch, um, you know, can kind of connect with you. Um, But I mean, that said, it's like, we've still all been rooting for Kane since he was a youth player. You know, when we all started talking in 2011, Kane was like the guy who was like poised to break through. And we were all very excited about that. So it's like, you know, we've had a long connection with him for 12 years now that, you know, it is weird to see him not part of this club anymore, for sure. But, you know, like Brian said, I think it's just time to start something new. And the last, if the last few years have shown us anything, it's that starting something new is really hard when you're clinging on to the sort of talisman from the last era of, of what this team looked like and like maybe there was an opportunity in those few years to transition that more smoothly but we didn't make that happen and now that he's staring down the barrel of his 30s and refusing to sign a new contract like there's not really much else you can do but say okay let's take the money and see what we can do and build as a club um and you know as we've just talked about for you know half an hour it's, it's a lot to be excited about um I will say Harry Kane in that match probably would have made a big difference. You know, we talked a lot in preseason about how, you know, look how much more Richarlison fits like Ange ball because he offers so much more running and stays in the box and like presses high and Kane keeps wanting to drop it in midfield and get on the ball. And like, that was the old era of Spurs. Like we need something different and seeing Brentford with 11 men behind the ball and Richarlison completely anonymous. It's like, yeah, Harry Kane uh, dropping deep and playing Tom Brady could have helped us out. Even just when, when that ball came to Richarlison, he was being marked by two men in the box, and I just remember thinking to myself, mm, Kane would have fashioned a good shot here. Yeah. Um, I I had I, – I, I, like, I wanted us to keep Kane if Kane wanted to stay, and I think maybe something that changed the calculus for me is, like, I think if you look back – to like 
you know, when we lost Bale, when we lost Modric, like part of the equation, like they went to, those two players went to Real Madrid and like, you go back to Berbatov, like he went to United and obviously those clubs were much higher up the football pyramid than we were at those respective times. But putting even aside the prestige, like one thing that's really different now is the fact that they were going to make a lot more money. And one thing I am fairly confident about is Harry Kane is not making more money or at least significantly more money than he would have made here. Um, that is not the reason he left. Now, you know, a lot of people have been writing about, like, oh, Spurs let down Kane and all this other stuff. And, you know, I'm a little skeptical of that, considering so many of the bad decisions we made were aimed at making Kane happy. Now, whether or not that let him down is arguable. But, you know, to me, the fact of the matter is this guy didn't want to be here anymore. And I have loved watching Harry Kane. I don't want to pretend that I don't have an attachment to him. But and, you know, this is, is probably at least largely applicable to my um, incredibly emotionally unhealthy way of dealing with terminating a relationship. But like to me, there's this whole thing of like he wanted to go. He didn't want to be here anymore. He's going to fucking Bayern. It's not even like Real Madrid. And, you know, he wants to play in a final immediately so he can get a trophy the second he gets there and get that off his back. Like. There's just the element of it to me that it's made it very easy for me, his sort of unwillingness to be here, or his, his not wanting to be here anymore. It's just made it very easy. And, you know, on, on some level, I get it. Who can blame him? Like, you look at how he was managed the last few years. You look at how last year went. Like, on, on the one hand, I get it. But this is a guy who always trafficked, and he's one of our own. You know, he's supposed to have a special connection with the Spurs fan base that doesn't really seem to exist. And, you know, I joked about it before it happened, but I had the exact reaction I thought I would when he did like crocodile tears video about why he was leaving Spurs, where it was like someone told him, like, well, squint and point your eyebrows up and it's going to look like you're sad, you know, like him trying to act or something. It just made me really sort of bitter. And I was honestly a little like surprised, even even with being fully cognizant of how emotionally unhealthy I am with like ending relationships like even I was shocked at how much I was rooting for Leipzig in that German Super Cup final. Like, I was way happier that they lost than I should have been. Um, but, yeah, I will confess, I watching that game against Brentford, I was like, yeah, Harry Kane would have fashioned an extra three or four chances here, and he probably puts one of them in. But I don't know. It's Like you guys said, it's time to move on. This isn't – if he doesn't want to be here, like, fuck it, he can go. Like, like we got stuff to do. I think it's very unfortunate. I feel like the English press really did him a disservice in just years and years of being on his back about not winning trophies. And, you know, like, you know, we joke that he's a footballing robot and all he cares about is, is winning. And, you know, maybe that would have been the case without all of that external pressure on him for not having delivered uh, a trophy to Spurs or England. But, you know, I think, we all like to believe that at the end of the day, spending his career as a Tottenham legend and breaking the English goal scoring record with his boyhood club is a more meaningful and more impressive achievement than any number of trophies that he could win at Bayern. And, you know, that is a very like self-serving kind of agenda, but it's also true. Like everyone remembers Alan Shearer as the record goal scorer in England. Nobody talks about Alan Shearer as the guy who won a Premier League title with Blackburn, which is an insane feat, frankly, and should be talked about as much, if not more, than being the record goal scorer. Um, But that's kind of a footnote in his his individual achievement, you know? And there is nothing that Kane is going to do at Bayern that would have trumped that. And I think it is a shame for him that he couldn't see that. And 
you know, I know that sounds like cope, but the fact is, is that's what his priorities are. And that's where his head was at is he felt like he needed to do that somewhere else um, because he wants to be treated with the respect that he frankly deserves and yeah. has not gotten for his entire career. Um, and I, I, I hope, I hope he both loses every game and finally gets that <laughs> respect that he You'll does get a deserve little bit of it because he, he is, I mean, we will probably not see a better player than him at this club. You know, I mean, England hasn't seen too many better players in the entirety of the Premier League as much as, you know, certain sections um, are loath to admit it. So, you know, it's, it's disappointing, I think more than anything, but I've, I reckoned with that disappointment two years ago when he tried to go to Man City. And I think at this stage with this manager, with this vision for the future, you know, with at his, this age, it just feels fine, better. I don't know. I thought it's funny for a club that so frequently doesn't seem to understand optics or PR or what have you. And, you know, I mean, there's going to be a protest this weekend about ticket prices, which is a testament to that. I thought Spurs actually handled this really well. They put out some tribute stuff to Kane, which, frankly, I wasn't all that interested in considering how I was feeling. But then they put out, you know, they put out a hype video with the new team. They put out, you know... Frankly, like, I think the smartest thing is they recorded the session where Ange named Son and Romero and Madison as the new captains and vice captains. And, like, by the end of that, I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going to, like, we're going to win the league before this is all said and done. Like, you know, it, it, like, it made me forget about Kane very quickly, which is dumb because, like we're talking about, he probably maybe helps us win that game on Sunday. But... Like, in terms of, like, emotions and, you know, like, how I felt about the club, I thought, you know, sort of the way that the club moved forward from that was fairly savvy. Um, and, you know, because I think this is a, is a team worth getting invested in. I think, like Brian said, there's some really good players here. And there's some really exciting players here. And I think, you know, if you're a Spurs fan and you don't think, you know, I mean, I think Ange is the best hire we've made in years already. I mean, he just... You know, he's very he's a very exciting manager. And I think the fact that he wasn't obvious is a credit to the club for maybe landing on it. Hopefully it'll be a credit to the club for landing on him. But I was, you know, within like a few hours of Kane, the transfer being announced, I was ready to go. Like, I, you know, like seeing him talk about Son being the new captain, it was just, you know, just sort of like all those things that we, we I mean, you know, we all talked about how like, you know, there wasn't anything really making us want to watch games at the end of last season. And, you know, if we don't play well, it doesn't matter how good a speaker Ange is. It's not going to matter. But certainly you, I, I handle losing a club legend and are probably the best player we'll see in our lifetimes at Spurs. I handle that a lot better than I thought I would because of what they put out afterwards. They super went on like a charm offensive to, to make sure that, uh, you know, the, the fans knew that, like, we weren't just selling our best player for yeah, and and then didn't have a plan. Like, you know, every word that Ange said in the press conferences, you know, just kind of reinforced, like, 
hey, look, we've been planning this way all along. Like, I don't feel like just cutting off all the various narratives about, you know, Levy not backing the manager. Oh, well, you know, I did my research before I came in. I kind of knew he wasn't going to stay. Then I had my conversation with him. He told me he wanted to leave. And so I've been planning for without him. Like, they're, they're, again, like we talked about with the press conference, like, earlier in the show, like, there's so many different ways that you as the manager can spin losing your best player. And so often we've had managers be like, why won't they buy me the player that I do want? Like, I, the, you know, I can't work like this. You know, we're a, they're a selling club, blah, 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 blah. And Ange is just like, yeah, he didn't want to play for us anymore. So we were prepared to move on. And... Like, just that attitude with um, respect to that and then the attitude with respect to how we move forward is just, like, so night and day from where we've been as a club in years past. Yeah, I just really – I really hope it delivers on the pitch because the vibes yeah. are so primed for us all to feel really good about the next few seasons. Um <laughs> that, yeah, if he turns out to be a fraud, it's gonna. Yeah, I need. I know, oh, it's gonna dude, hurt dude. so much. I I need new dad to surpass old dad. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Um. Yeah. So we have a few questions from our listeners. Um. Good. Oh, lightning round. Go. Lightning round. Well, we'll start with lightning round. Uh, Mike too wants to ask, how are you? Ready to run right? through a wall. Got it. If uh, Giovanni Lodcliffo wants to know, if Sanchez keeps his current form, do Spurs have enough depth at CB for the season uh, without bringing another marquee player in? Brian? Uh, I mean, ideally, Sanchez is not there, you know, once at the close of the transfer window. And, like, I appreciate that he looked good in this match and he played okay against Barcelona. But, like, if we have a club that's willing to pay actual money for this man... Um, we should probably take advantage of that. Um, so I, I don't know. I, 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 no, we don't have enough depth at center back. No, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I, I, I've been here before I've been full, like just it's time to move on. Like get him out of here. Yeah. It's like at the beginning of last year where teams hadn't scored in nine straight games with him on the pitch. And it's like, no. But don't do this to ourselves. Let's not don't talk do this to him. This. Don't do this to us. Don't do it to anyone. Let's just move on. I mean, we need four center backs and we have two. So there's room for one of Davinson or Dyer to be that fourth center back. And if it's now going to be Sanchez instead of Dyer, like it looked at the beginning of the summer, I don't care. Like, but what if it's Dave? I think if Ben Davis is our fourth center back, that's probably going to put us in a dicey situation. Seeing how how crucial Van de Ven's speed was to like mopping up, if Ben Davis is back there, we lose eight two. You know, like that's I, I no offense to Ben Davis, but Davidson does have some physical tools that make sense. That if he's our fourth center back, and we have a lot of other work to do, I mean, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> we should still buy someone. DAC, speaking of this, wants to know: Do we actually think we'll sign anyone else in this window? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of smoke around uh, Gift, Orban, however we're pronouncing that. We're going to find it's out exactly how to pronounce Yeah, Gift, <laughs> sorry. 
Um, that's that's going to be – that's going to be if, – if, if, if this kid is – if we sign him and he's great, that's going to – you're going to be fucking insufferable, man. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but like, it looks like that's a thing that's happening. Um, and I mean, we're still a couple weeks from the window closing. So I, I have to think there's probably Daniel Levy's probably got another deal somewhere, whether it's going back in for Tapsoba or, uh, someone we haven't really been heavily linked with yet. Like, I feel like there's something we just need to kind of get a couple of guys out first, I think. I think it's but, I think it's Orban and another center back. I think that's what we're doing. Or Gift Orban and another center back. I mean But I think I think the thing is though, um and I don't I didn't look at the questions beforehand because I'm not gonna prepare. So maybe we have another question about this, but like I think we should be looking for like a winger. Like we we signed Solomon and like that's fine. Um, I don't know how good he is, but like, I think what would actually make this team much better is like a superstar right or left wing. Like, you know, the the easy one to to pick out of the hat is Matoma. Like, Matoma makes this team look a lot different now. Yeah, but that's not happening. So. Yeah, he's like, cost prohibitive, and they're playing in the Champions League, and like, so. But like a player like that, Ryan Shirky. You know, whoever else is on the list, like there's there's young and, you know, good wingers that we can get. Um, That would probably be more impactful than, you know, uh, another center back or or another midfielder or something. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that our vulnerabilities in our attack are the limitations of our, our existing core of wingers. You know, Parisage is an old man doing his best out there. Solomon, who knows what he is. Uh, yeah, I think if you're going to buy a star player with Kane money, that's where it goes. Eric Cromwell wants to know, uh, with our current squad that did not start against Brentford, who do you think is going to break through in his starting 11 and thrive under Big Ange? Ben? Uh, also. I think... I think I understand the reluctance not to pair him and Madison together, but at some point it's just, he offers so much on the ball that I think again, he looked so good in preseason that we need someone who is capable of playing that multifaceted I, uh, a role. I don't understand the reluctance. Like if you look at that team, we played against Brentford, keep Madison in switch out, skip and, Lacelso, I don't understand the problem. Lacelso can play a more reserved role if that's what right. you want him to do. And well, that's the thing. I think Skip is nominally a defensive midfielder, so maybe there's some feeling that like he gives you some solidity there that he doesn't. I mean, he was a ghost, like offered nothing defensively, and Lacelso understands how to be a, a free eight in possession. How to he used to play a defensive midfielder, like he understands all of those dimensions, and he played as a ten at your boyhood club. Uh, in Spain, you know, like well, we played all over the front line on my boy yeah, club. I'm saying, like, he has like the ability to play, I think, that role really well. And uh, and if it's not him, it's Sar. But somebody is going to be not Oliver Skip. Yeah, I I, I am uh, I mostly agree with you. I just think it's a different player for that same position, and I think it's Sar. 
Um, I've been on this train for the last two years that he's actually good and he should be playing and he would solve a lot of problems. I feel like actually this year we're going to get to see it. Um, I, I think he just does so much of the stuff that we need and also offers kind of a little bit more uh, athleticism and defensive solidity than LaCelso. Um, I think, you know, maybe he's not quite as good with the tight control and, you know, the little incisive passes that I think LaCelso can do. But I think his passing range is better. I think his, um, his athleticism is better. I think his dribbling is better. Um, I think his defensive work is better. And he's also 20, like, uh, you know, I, I think if if you're betting on someone to break out, um, it's him. I think it's a real shame we don't have any kind of Europe this year. So Ange has an opportunity to fuck around a little bit with lineups. I think, you know, I think that would really help guys like Saar and LaCelso and all them. But alas, we don't. Uh, a first time listener. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Reno Whale, a boot. I don't I don't know how to say that. Uh, he wants to know. Kiss, Mary kill. Uh, Joel this is a PG podcast. Apparently, we don't fuck on this pod. I'm reading the question. I don't know where this uh, first time listener is coming from. So let's say fuck Mary Kill. Um, Martin Yol, Harry Redknapp, Postacoglu, Brian. <sighs> oh, kind of more of a piece than I would have thought. Uh, you sort of think about it. Oh man. Um, I think I think you would. You would marry Big Ange. Yes. Just because I feel like he would be the most supportive overall. Um, kill Harry Redknapp because it's old, he's old and it's probably easier. And and then I guess you'd have to fuck Martin Yole. Which, I mean, if only just for like the cuddle after, I feel like that'd be fine. Um, and he and I are like height compatible, so... Does it start off like him squaring up to Wenger, but just goes in a completely different direction? Yes, absolutely. And I've also got on a really long coat that he has to figure out the zipper for, but nothing underneath, just the coat. And um, yeah, and a, a coat, and then I've got a you know a Tottenham scarf, kind of you know adorning. But nothing things. else. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Ben, do you, do you dispute any of that? I mean, look, you know, and I'm kind of like taking their managerial stuff into this and not just their general physical qualities, because let's be honest, it's all it's a lot of kills. <laughs> uh, I think you fuck Rednap. He's a good time, Charlie. Here for a good time, not for a long time. Where is that is welcome fast, but you're going to have a good time with Harry Rednap on his day. Um <laughs> I, I feel like he's not an, uh, an active participant in uh, eh, lovemaking. Look, I'm, again, I'm, I'm using his managerial acumen as a stand-in for his uh, sexual virility. <laughs> so let's just go with this version. Uh, Ange, I'm sorry. I don't know you like that. I think I'm going to have to kill Big Ange. I, it hurts me. And maybe if I had... That's that's awfully presumptuous about your ability to kill someone, Ben. Like, I, I wouldn't trust myself to kill Big Ange. Well, I'm sure there's plenty of uh, wildlife in Australia that I can get to do my dirty work for me. Uh, but yeah, uh, Martin Yol taught me to love this team, and I am happy to settle down with him. I know what I'm getting. It's cozy. He's a big, big teddy bear. 
Sorry, Ange, I don't know you like that. Well, I can't think of a better note to wrap it up on than that. I, I agree with Brian, for the record. I would go with his choices. Ben, where can uh, people tell you about ways to romance Harry Redknapp on the internet? Uh, well, you can find me and Harry in the back of his car with the window down. <laughs> and on Twitter. At Comrade Was, wait, Eastburn. so is, are they, is Sky Sports interviewing you two while you fuck? Like, well, that... They're interviewing him. I, I'm not I'm not interview material. But, like, yeah, he's <laughs> multitasking. <laughs> Okay. Good to know. Uh, Brian, where can people find you on the internet talking about your uh, loving relationship with Big Ange? Uh, you can find me on uh, X. Is that what we're... Are we actually no, calling not, it no, that? We're not. We're not no, doing We're never it. calling it that. Okay. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That's Brian with a Y. Or you can find me on Blueski. It's at Brian Ashlock. No underscore. Um, so coming up in the world, yeah. I finally got that invite code. No underscore, you're the, the official Brian. Yeah, Ashlock. I am the Brian Ashlock on Blue. Ski, that should have so. been your Blue Ski name, yeah. The Brian Ashlock, yeah. there you go. Uh, you can find me on twitter.com at skipjack0079, and you can find me on Blue Ski at skipjack. Um, and don't forget to follow our podcast, uh, at WDR podcast that's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio on Twitter. For Ben, for Brian, and of course for Ben's happily uh, married partner, uh, Martin Yole. Uh, don't forget uh, Brett Rainbow. Um, for all of these people, uh, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>